Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. Now, I spent a lot of time today you know, watching the coverage on CNBC of the World Economic Forum you know, in Davos. And I feel like I'm in, like, in the Twilight Zone or Alice in Wonderland or something like that. I mean, everybody is so optimistic, at least all the people they're interviewing, all the, the Americans. I mean, I'm looking at this article I put on my Facebook page, this uh, analyst from Morgan Stanley Asset Management. She's unquestionably bullish on every front. I mean, everything is bullish. There's nothing at all to worry about. In fact, the only thing that she said that anybody is worried about is that there's nothing to worry about. It's that things are so good. They're wondering, what are we missing? Maybe we should be a little worried because nobody is worried because everything is good. I mean, there are so many things to worry about. That is the reality. But they're not worried about any of them. You know, I watched uh, an interview. Donald Trump did an interview of Joe Kernan on uh, on CNBC. And you look at this interview and Joe Curtin is like, he's like a schoolgirl with a crush. I mean, he is so enamored uh, by Donald Trump. I mean, he's basically just kissing his ass on everything he has to say. He's just sitting there and listening to this bullshit and he's just eating it all up. I mean, everybody has gone insane, right? I mean, I talked about this, you know, was I was on Alex Jones and Alex Jones is like, oh, he's in, everything is great, right? Under under Trump, you know, Alex is like, hey, you know, Obama never had an economy that was growing at 3%, right? This is what I'm hearing all the time, right? Obama never managed to achieve 3% economic growth, as if Donald Trump has. But everybody believes that the economy is growing rapidly. In fact, in Donald Trump's speech today, right, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what he said. Donald Trump said that we're experiencing a roaring economy, right? He said that after years of stagnation, we finally have strong GDP growth. Finally, after waiting all these years, right, the economy is booming thanks to him, right? And everybody is eating this nonsense up. Everybody believes it, except none of it is true because we actually got the GDP numbers out today from the government. And not that I necessarily believe the numbers we get from the government because I think the government is overstating uh, the real GDP growth. 
because I think they are understating how much inflation really is. I think inflation is higher than what the government admits. But the media generally accepts these numbers, right? They like the numbers or they believe them. And early this morning, we actually got the, the GDP numbers uh, that came out. And the economy in the fourth quarter grew at 2.6%. They were expecting 3.2. It grew at 2.6. Then if you average the entire year, because President Trump has been president for pretty much all of 2017, the economy grew at 2.3%. That's it, 2.3. Now, my bet is they're going to revise the fourth quarter lower, so it's probably going to be lower than 2.3. The average GDP growth during the last four years of the Obama administration was 2.2. So 2.2 was economic stagnation, Yet 2.3 is a booming economy? I mean, come on. In fact, in 2014 and 2015, the economy grew 2.6 and 2.9. So in those two years of economic stagnation, those two years, we had a stronger economy than we have now when the economy is supposedly booming under Trump. So nobody is worried about this dramatic slowdown that we're experiencing. See, everybody is comparing the 2.3% this year to the 1.5% from the year before and say, wow, look at all this economic growth that has been created under Trump. I mean, this is all an illusion. Yes, we did have some extra spending under Trump because of some unwarranted misplaced optimism, but that's already wearing off. I think that economic growth in 2018 is going to be lower than 2017. Look at what happened today on the, the trade deficit. You know, again, no one talks about it. One of the reasons that the GDP number was so weak was because of the large subtraction by the trade deficit. And they were looking for the trade deficit to contract because it was about 70 billion in the prior month. And instead it expanded uh, 71 point something. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it was like a three and a half percent jump. This is, again, the worst trade deficit that we've had ever if you take out energy. I mean, that was true last month, except the December number is even bigger than the November number. So the trade deficits are exploding higher. This is a very, very bad sign for the dollar. By the way, the dollar was down again. This is the sixth consecutive week that the dollar index has declined. That hasn't happened since 2010. And we actually we actually broke into an 88 handle on the dollar index this week. In fact, it probably would have been lower had Donald Trump not come out uh, for damage control. And I'll get to that in a minute with respect to comments by the Secretary of the Treasury. But the dollar uh, going down, not only is it down for six consecutive weeks, this is the worst start that the dollar has had in any calendar year since 1987. Now, I don't have to remind anybody what happened in 1987. We had a booming stock market that ultimately crashed. And just like 1987, nobody is worried right now. No one is worried about the rising trade deficits. No one is worried about rising interest rates. Interest rates rose again this week. The yield on the 10-year back over two spots, 6.6. Six. This is the fourth consecutive week that we've seen a backup in interest rates. But look at the trend. I mean, we could explode higher. Oil prices. You want something to worry about? Oil is over $66 a barrel. The price just keeps going up. I mean, there's no resistance in sight. We can hit 80 very quickly, then 100. I mean, isn't that a problem? 
I mean, don't Americans have to buy that gas? Nobody's worried about that. Now they're talking about this gigantic infrastructure spending bill. Where's that money going to come from? How much bigger are the deficits going to get if we have to go borrow even more money? And who's going to lend it to us? Who's going who's to buy our bonds? Especially when we actually have a weak dollar policy, right? And that you know, brings me to what I mentioned just a minute ago. So we had the Secretary of the Treasury, Mnuchin, who came on twice and basically said that he, he's welcoming, he welcomes uh, the weak dollar because it's going to be good for our exports, it's going to be good for trade. So he welcomes it. And then he was asked again, he said, look, you know, I don't really spend much time thinking about the dollar. I don't give it much, much of a thought. I mean, he's the Secretary of the Treasury. How could he not think about the dollar? I mean, that's like the Secretary of Defense saying he doesn't think about the military. I mean, what else is he supposed to think about when he's the Secretary of the Treasury? In fact, you know, whenever they used to ask the Fed chairman about the dollar, right, Janet Yellen or Ben Bernanke, if they ever asked a question about the dollar, they would say, look, we don't comment on the dollar. It's the Treasury that deals with the dollar. I mean, we just create the dollars. We don't comment on them, right? It's the, it's the Treasury, Secretary of the Treasury who's in charge of, you know, the dollar and talking about the dollar, right? So that's his main job, right? Talking about the dollar. And see, he doesn't even think about it. In fact, think about this. When you're the Secretary of the Treasury right now in America, I mean, A, you're not really the Secretary of the Treasury because we have no Treasury. We, you know, Treasury would assume that we've got a treasure chest full of assets. We don't. He's the secretary of the debt. See, his job is to manage the debt. Or he's kind of like Bernie Madoff, except, you know, working for the government. So his job is to keep buyers of bonds, you know, buying, to keep the Ponzi scheme going. That's his job, right? So he's in charge of conning the world into buying our bonds. Now, if that's your job, you got to talk up the dollar because the bonds are denominated in dollars. See, what, what uh, the secretary of Treasury basically told the rest of the world is don't buy our bonds, right? Because the dollar's going down. We don't care about the dollar. We don't think about the dollar. We think it's good for us if the dollar goes down. So don't buy our bonds. Okay, they won't, right? And then who's going to buy them? What's going to happen with interest rates? So the dollar was already down. Then it tanked, right? It was falling, and then he made these statements, and then it tanked. So then yesterday, uh, President Trump came out and said the Secretary of the Treasury's comments were, were taken out of context. No, they weren't. They were exactly in context. Nothing was taken out of context at all. Now, of course, the Secretary of the Treasury did say that he thinks in the long run, you know, the dollar will reflect the strength of the U.S. economy. And so because he believes the U.S. economy will be strong, then he believes the dollar will be strong. So Trump came out and focused in on that. And he said, the economy is strong. And when you have a strong economy and it's getting stronger than ever, uh, you're going to have a strong dollar. So the dollar is going to keep going up, up, up. Because the economy is going to keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So in effect, he tried to say that we actually have a strong dollar policy because we have such a strong economy. But what the Secretary of the Treasury actually said is that he thinks that eventually the dollar will go up. But in the short run, the dollar going up is a good thing. And Trump didn't dispute that. And if you actually listen to him, what Trump is really saying is that the strong dollar policy is this. In the short run, the dollar is going to go down. And that's good. Because that's going to help strengthen the U.S. economy. And because the U.S. economy strengthens, well, then the dollar is going to go back up. So a weak dollar is what leads to a strong dollar. Because a weak dollar strengthens the economy, and a strong economy strengthens the dollar. Now, I suppose, you know, once the dollar strengthens, it doesn't undermine the strong economy that was built on a weak dollar. Let's just forget about that. But that's the logic. And I'm, you know, joking, it's like, you know, Trump, it's kind of like the Trump diet would be, you know, you gain a bunch of weight. 
And then because you're so fat, you're motivated to lose weight, right? So maybe that's what he's thinking. So if we just weaken the dollar, it's going to strengthen miraculously on its own because we're just going to get a stronger economy because we have a weaker currency. But the truth is, that's not going to happen. Weakening your currency doesn't strengthen the economy. But the dollar isn't weakening because that's our policy. The dollar is weakening because the country's a mess. It's weakening because it's overvalued. It's weakening because the recovery is a sham. This is just a gigantic bubble. Yes, the stock market is going up, but it's not because of anything Trump has done other than instill confidence, other than the fact that people are now so excited, right? When he goes around in Davos and he's basically, you know, a salesman trying to talk up America, trying to get people to invest in America, telling them how great it is. I mean, obviously, he can't go there and tell them the truth. Yeah, go start a business in America so you can get regulated, taxed and sued. Right. He's not going to tell them the truth. He's telling people how great it is. Uh, to go establish a business in the United States about all the taxes and all the regulations that have been eliminated. But this is all in his mind. This stuff hasn't happened. Yeah, we've had a tax cut, but it's not the biggest one in the history of the country, but it's going to fuel bigger deficits. And the trade deficits are already going up. In fact, people are just simply going to take their tax cuts to the mall and they're going to use those tax cuts to buy imported products. And all that does is run up the deficit even higher. In fact, the, the, the durable goods orders came out today. The headline number beat, but um, X transportations missed and core durable goods actually fell. Fell. That hasn't happened, uh, I think, since what, what was last time? That was maybe in December of 12 months that hasn't happened. But so almost all the economic data today, trade deficit much bigger than expected, bad news. GDP much lower than expected. Bad news, bad news on durable goods. So a trifecta of bad economic data all swept aside so that everybody can say that everything is great. You know, the stock market up again, makes new highs, right? Ignores rising interest rates, a falling dollar, um, rising crude prices, bad economic data, right? Just so they can talk about how great everything is. And, and, and to me, you know, what a fantastic contrarian indicator uh, and, and I think this is, again, probably one of the reasons that nobody wants me on television because I haven't signed on to this. I mean, I'm not singing Trump's praises. I mean, if you're not willing to talk about how great Trump is and how great the economy is and how great the market is, then they don't want to talk to you because so many people. I mean, I think they can't help it because they're all like, you know, the stock market keeps going up so they can't think straight. Right? And no one wants to believe that this isn't real, right? Nobody wants to invite me to the party so I can poop all over it, right? I mean, they don't want me uh, talking facts and reality. They don't want that getting away with their fantasy, their bubble. But the smart money is is doing exactly the opposite of what uh, is you know being talked about in, in the financial media. I mean, he's, this woman from uh, J.P. Morgan, she can see nothing but optimism. Go out and buy. Everything is great. Look. This is what this crowd at Davos was saying at this time in 2008, just before that crisis. But they're much more optimistic now. And the irony of it is the crisis that we're headed for is much bigger than the one that they were completely oblivious to in, in 2008. Now, I got an email from a listener who said that he didn't think I should talk about you know, all the clients who are closing their account, that it might uh, you know, discourage people from investing because they'll say, well, why do I want to open up an account with Peter when everybody is closing? I mean, that's the point. You want to be a contrarian. Now, not everybody is closing. The vast majority of my clients haven't closed their account. But we are still getting clients every day, one or two clients, close their accounts every day. 
And, you know, I talked to these people, or at least I tried to. I mean, some of them refused to talk to me because I talked them out of closing their account before and they don't want me to talk them out of it again, even though their account has gone way up since the last time I convinced them not to sell. In fact, a lot of the people who are closing their accounts have actually beaten the U.S. stock market over the last two years, even, even this year. But, you know, again, they don't want to hear about that because they're so stead- set on getting into the U.S. stock market, they don't want anybody talking them out of it. But, you know, on a positive note, we are getting an uptick, a noticeable uptick in new account openings. So I think we're actually opening more accounts every day than we're losing, which is a good thing. Uh, I mean, not, it's not crazy or anything. Right? It's not like 2009 or 8 or 10 where the phones were ringing off the hook every day and we couldn't even keep pace with the number of people who were opening up new accounts. But at least there are people now, maybe with the headlines, maybe with the dollar going down every day, gold going up, oil going up. People are starting to think about me a little bit more or hearing about me. And maybe some people who are on the fence are finally starting to jump off the fence. But it's nothing like, you know, it's not like a sign like, oh, this is a contrarian indicator. Believe me, the fact that new accounts are picking up doesn't mean, oh, that's a warning sign. This, I mean, when, when we're near the top of the market, it'll be like I won't be able to answer the phone again. It'll be like you can't even get through to us because there'll be so many people dying to open up their accounts. In fact, maybe some of the people who are closing their accounts now, uh, you know, a few years from now might be trying to buy back the same stock that they sold for four or five times, you know, what they were when they sold them if they have any money left, because they might have lost it all into the U.S. stock market. You know, one interesting aspect of what's been going on the last couple of weeks, right, with the dollar going way down, gold going way up, oil going way up, right, potential makings of a real, you know, currency crisis, right, with the dollar weakening, Bitcoin hasn't gone up at all. I mean, Bitcoin is still around 10,000. I mean, it's been below 10,000, uh, a little bit above it, but it's hanging out at that level. So you're not seeing any movement now of money into Bitcoin right? as a hedge against a weak dollar. You know, you're not seeing any kind of relationship between Bitcoin and gold. Now, there's still a lot of hype around Bitcoin. There's still a lot of buying, but obviously there must be a lot of selling, right? There must be a lot of the people who got in early who are looking at cashing out. In fact, I talked to a guy today who had about $15 million dollars in Bitcoin profits, who's now just started to sell. And um, he was, you know, he was mining these things. I asked him when he first started buying. He said he was buying them uh, about 12 bucks a Bitcoin. And so he's now, he's now starting to get out, you know, and he, he, he's planning on, I guess, selling most of it at some point, but he's, he's, and the, the, the Bitcoin he sold, he did, got rid of a couple million and he bought gold with it. That is the right thing to do. Now, obviously, even if what, what he's holding went to zero, he still has a big profit based on the fact that he uh, that he sold some. But here's a, a little bit of a, you know, a warning. So I got an email, you know, from a guy who was representing several businesses uh, that were involved in cryptocurrencies and they're all foreign, right? So it's not Americans. Uh, they're based outside the United States in solid countries and they're, they're, they're businesses that are involved in, in cryptocurrencies. And he's trying to open up a bank account for these businesses. And, you know, he emailed me, you know, can, can we have an account? Because, you know, I have a bank. I have a, you know, Europe Pacific Bank, an offshore bank. And I, unfortunately, I had to e- email him back that we cannot help him. Because as much as I would love to have his banking business, right, we're not allowed to do it. Because the banks that we work with will not do business with us if we do business with companies that are involved in cryptocurrency. I mean, that is the reality of the world today. Even with all the hype, even with all the coverage, banks are afraid to get involved with these businesses because of the 
money laundering aspects, right? They're because of the regulatory aspects. And, you know, if these cryptocurrencies ever could become compliant with all the rules and regulations that would enable the banks to be able to do business with them, I mean, it would be so expensive to actually use a Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency that, again, nobody would use it. Remember, the whole initial use case was a peer-to-peer, low-cost uh, payment way to bypass the banks, to be able to buy and sell stuff quickly, cheaply, efficiently. None of this is possible. None of this is happening. Instead, simply, people are just buying it. But I'm telling you something, when it comes to emotion and psychology, there's very little difference, I think, between the people who are stuck in the Bitcoin bubble and the people who are stuck in the stock market bubble, right? Because once you're in a bubble, nothing will penetrate. Nothing will change your mind, right? So, you know, when, when I talk to people who are in Bitcoin, I go over all of the reasons that it's not going to work. None of it will, will make sense to them. And, and all they can do is say, well, look how much it's gone up, right? Look how much money I've made. And, you know, you didn't make any of this money. So the bottom line is all my arguments boil down to, hey, you didn't buy it and it went up. So you're wrong, right? But that is the same thing that's going on in the stock market. So if you're in these cryptocurrencies and you, you know, you'll agree with what I say about the stock market, you better do some soul searching while you still have time to sell. And I'm glad this guy that I talked to today was planning on opening up an account at Euro Pacific Capital with his uh, Bitcoin winnings that he's cashing out. More people should do that. You know, if you don't know how to open up an account at Euro Pacific Capital, just go to our website at europac.com. And call a broker or fill out a form, somebody, an online form, somebody will be in touch with you. But the people who are looking at the U.S. stock market, there are so many things to worry about, right? It's, they're saying there's nothing to worry about. Well, what happens if interest rates really go up? I heard somebody ask that question to somebody on CNBC today. And they said, well, you know, we're not really worried because, yes, we think interest rates will go up, but just a little. Interest rates are going to stay very low for a long time. Inflation is going to stay very low for a long time. So everything is going to be great. How can you confidently make that forecast that inflation is going to be low for a long time? Interest rates are going to be low for a long time. What if it's not? What, what if interest rates go way up this year? What if inflation goes way up? How can somebody look at oil prices, which basically, if you go back to the lows from July, oil prices are up. 50%. Now, that's a big move, except it doesn't look like the move is over. There's no short-term resistance overhead, right? We've got big drops in the dollar. I mean, you got to go back again to 1987 to see the dollar falling this rapidly this early in the year, looking at record valuations in the stock market, looking at record amounts of debt, how an increase of interest rates would impact our ability to pay that debt. Right. Look at how a weakening dollar is likely to affect the price of imports, looking at record trade deficit, looking at the prospect of record budget deficits. Right. All this stuff is happening. All this bad stuff is happening. And nobody even wants to acknowledge it. Right. Nobody even wants to have Peter Schiff to come on the air to discuss it because it's so irrelevant. It's so impossible. Right. They just want to follow this Pied Piper of bullishness. You know, Donald Trump, even the people who didn't like Donald Trump, you know, are on the Trump train. I mean, I got it. I got to admit, I mean, he is a fantastic salesman. Right. I mean, he has managed to get everybody excited and everybody bullish and everybody gung ho. And he's like the leader of this gigantic cult. And everybody is just falling into play. You know, I had a 
phone conversation with Rick Santelli the other day, just chatting or texting with him. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, we normally agree on most stuff, but he's completely in the Trump camp. I mean, he thinks everything is going to be great. Again, everybody is just been taken in. And, you know, of course, this is exactly what you would expect during a mania, right? Everybody is always wrong. The crowd has always got it wrong. So when you've got all these experts, all these investment experts, right, everybody around, nothing can go wrong. Everything is perfect. You better believe something's going to go wrong. And again, the reality is everything's going to go wrong because it's all intertwined. It's all interrelated. And it's all going to go go wrong at once. And people are not prepared for it in, in, in the least. Now, we still haven't gotten, again, a big move up in gold, even though gold broke above uh, 1350. In fact, it broke above 1360, right? We didn't see a, a rush of buying coming in. And I think that that is still because of the stock market going up, because people don't generally buy gold when everything is great. If nothing can go wrong and there's nothing to worry about, then why buy gold? Now, the fact of the matter is gold is going up anyway, even though there's nothing to worry about and everything is great. But believe me, the minute that people realize that there's something to worry about and they worry about it a little bit, then the price of gold is going to go way up. But the dollar is going down for bigger picture reasons. And that is going to continue. Why no one worries about that? Well, you know, that's just all this Keynesian nonsense. No one cares. But when you are a debtor nation, when you have massive debt, when you're looking to borrow what over the next year, the treasury needs to borrow another trillion dollars. Uh, but it also needs to borrow a lot more than that because all the short term debt matures and they're counting on holders to roll it over. But what if they don't roll it over? And there's a good chance a lot of our debt holders aren't going to roll it over. The Fed is going to have to find a replacement buyer. Where? Where are they going to buy? The dollar keeps falling. Who in Europe is going to want to take their euros and convert them into dollars to buy U.S. treasuries that don't even yield 3% and take a chance that by the time the bond matures a year later, that you've lost 10 or 15% on the Forex? Plus, if the U.S., if the stock markets are going to go up, and again, it's not just the U.S., the stock markets are going up all around the world, and everybody is saying that it's going to continue. Well, if everybody who buys stocks is going to make a ton of money, why would anybody want to buy bonds and make hardly any money? Right? It doesn't make any sense. So bonds have to go down. The dollar has to go down because why should you hold dollars? Because you can't put them in bonds because you're going to lose your money on the foreign exchange. So people want to buy stocks. But, you know, if they're smart, they want to buy stocks outside the United States. You want to buy the stocks in countries that have a currency that's going up. You don't want to buy stocks in a country that has a currency that's going down unless you believe it's only going down temporarily and then you think it's going to go up. But if you actually look at a chart of the dollar, there's nothing but air beneath that. I mean, I think the next stop on the dollar index is about 85, right? And right now we're about 89. So about another four points was about a 5% drop. But there's not massive support there. I'm just, just looking at a moving average. That's the 200-month moving average on a monthly chart of the dollar index. But once we crash through that, then I don't really see much support at all unless you go down to the trend line off the 2008 low and the 2011 low. And that's maybe, you know, about 78, you know, if it were to hit there right now, so a little bit below 80. And then once we go through that, you have to go down to the record lows, which is about 71 to get support. And then, of course, if we break through that, which I believe we ultimately will, 
Well, then there's no support at all. Right then it's just a floodgate. That's where the crash is going to come. But between now and then, you still have significant downside. So why go down with that ship when you have so many great investment opportunities all around the world? Why do you want to sit on a pile of dollars? And even worse, why would you want to loan those pile of dollars to the U.S. government for two or three percent interest? I mean, there's no way that you would do that. So rates are going to keep falling. The dollar is going to keep falling. That means oil prices are going to keep rising and other prices, not just oil prices. All prices are going to be going up. Inflation is coming and the economy is going to roll over. Stagflation is where we are. Right. And that is going to be the record that Republicans are going to have to run on. Right. This is all going to be turned upside down on the president and the Republicans. All of these words are going to are going to come back to haunt him. Right. They're all there. All the quotes are there. We have a booming economy. Everything is great. The market is great. You know, he actually said that if Hillary Clinton had won, the market would have gone down by 50 percent, 50 percent already in a year if Hillary had won. But because I won, it's up. You know, so, you know, the market's what, 20, 26,000, whatever on doubt, 27,000. He thinks it would be 9,000 right now if Hillary was president. Right. So when the market goes down and again, we could have a crash. Right. Again, this is just like 1987, only much worse. Right. All the same problems, except magnified, you know, much bigger trade deficits, much bigger. You know, the trade deficit that crushed uh, the uh, the market that was the one that was that came out, I think, right before the crash. We had one month where the trade deficit was 17 billion. 17 billion. This month we're 71 billion. And the that's the unified trade deficit, right? The 17 billion, they used to report just a merchandise trade deficit and it's much bigger. So I forget the merchandise trade deficit is even bigger than the 71, but the trade deficits are much bigger now than they were in 1987. And of course, the move up in interest rates, interest rates were much higher in 1987. You know, when they topped out, it was around 9%, but I think maybe they moved up from about 5 or 6% to 9%, I forget. But percentage-wise, the move was much smaller than the percentage increase that we're going to get this year. But the, and the U.S. economy has much more debt now than it had then. We're, we were in much better shape in 1987, you know, with our national you know, balance of payments and our, our economy was much sounder. I mean, we're a complete disaster. So if we could have a crash in 87, we can have a much bigger crash now. The only thing that will stop the crash, and it may not even stop it, would be, you know, QE4, massive money printing. But then the dollar will crash, so it doesn't matter. But and I used to think that the prospect of you know QE4 would kind of provide a safety net beneath the market that that maybe it wouldn't really crash, just you know kind of go down a bit. But now I think the odds of a crash, looking at this unprecedented level of optimism, blind bullishness, where so much bad news is being ignored. And, and so much good news that isn't even good is being massively exaggerated, like talking about a booming economy that's growing at 2.3%. When under Obama, it grew at 2.2% and it was dismal and it was stagnation and you're barely any different. In fact, there's a good chance that if they revise Q4 lower, that it could end up that GDP in 2017 will average lower than the, the last four years of the Obama administration. But when you see all of this nonsense and how sure everybody is that the market can only go up, it really makes me think that the possibilities of a 1987 stock market crash are actually a lot higher than, uh, than I used to think.